I, I actually said last week prioritize, but I didn't like that word, and, and Matt Donnelly suggested practice. And I don't mean practice as in uh, <clears throat> rehearse. I mean practice as in, like, put into practice. Like, go and actually do it. Like, live it. Make it your lifestyle of sharing the gospel. It's every facet of your life is just an outlet and opportunity to share the, the faith that you hold. So some of you, in fact, Tim, uh, I saw him in hockey last night, and he was very angry with me, so angry that I believe he didn't show up tonight, because he said that, uh, and I'm totally throwing him under the bus, especially since he's not here. So last night at hockey, he said, hey, I got your email. I'm like, Yeah. It's like, you know, the last time that someone sent me an email and gave me homework, I dropped it butts. <laughs> so, I don't know if any of you... I, I thought he was joking, but he's not here. But his wife's here, so he must not have dropped it. <laughs> even worse! <laughs> That's even worse, don't... I asked him to move his car so he could go, and he said, oh, I'm in my car, and I'm so he's here, but I don't know. He's a punk. <laughs> so, the gospel in 60 seconds. I am not a legalist, so I will not hold you to the exact 60 second mark. But did anyone act, did, did anyone not get my email? Alright, that's not good. You must not be on my list, or you just didn't check your email. I checked the email. Alright. Well, I sent it through the app that Larry has, so we might have to have a little conversation. So my uh, homework on Monday... So it was late. Was attempt to take all that you know of the gospel and put it in sixty seconds. That's not exactly. And that's <laughs> and that's not fair. I said one minute. So, and and my my goal is is uh, I want to try to get down to the most essential core. There's so much that we could talk about about the gospel. The gospel is a multifaceted diamond where you could turn it and talk about adoption and sonship and justification and sanctification and, and, and all sorts of amazing features and aspects of the gospel. But when it comes down to it, we don't have to know every single detail of the gospel in order to become a Christian. We don't have to understand it all. But there are there is an essential core that we must understand, and that's what I, I'm trying to boil down and focus our conversation in on tonight. What must someone know in order to be a Christian. So is anyone willing, and I won't time you, I promise, I kind of will, um, to give that an attempt? Or else I'll just pick the G. Alright, let's see, you're going to have to talk loud because I've heard that that thing is really uh, troubling. I've worked that the gospel is the good news about the offer of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Okay? The good news is the offer of eternal life through Jesus Christ. Okay? It's good? We'll see. I'll give you what I wrote down. Is that God, um, God who is holy and just in all his ways, has provided a way for us to have our sins forgiven. Sin has corrupted every person and has separated us from God. Jesus came to pay our debt and to save us from our sins. He died on the cross, was buried, and rose the third day. Those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ and repent of their sins will be saved. Nailed it. 
Alright? The gospel is the preaching and teachings of Jesus Christ and his apostles, more specifically the story of Christ and his life. Like in John 14, 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes before, no one comes to the Father except through me. Something that is regarded as being true and explicitly believed in. The good news proclaimed widely and is spread rapidly. A plan that God has designed, created, to save sinful humans from eternal separation from Him. Okay. Can you guys hear that in the back, just out of curiosity? Kind of ish. I've been dying. I lose like five pounds a night when I'm here <laughs> sweating myself to death. I'll turn it off just for you. Was it the air? But I'm turning it back on. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right, someone else. Chris, how about you? Go. Okay. Well, I'm with kids a lot, so mine's real simple. That's, that's okay? perfect. Okay. That's what I prefer. Uh, well, I have two different things. I would go through John 3.16, you know, do the verse and talk about how, you know, he loved us, how he loved you, and he died on the cross for you, and kind of put their name in it. That's what we used to do when our kids were really, really, really little and a while But this one's kind of cute, too. I, it was called the ABC, and the first one was to admit that you're a sinner, the A, and then you can get more detailed, obviously. And then B is believe that Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And C was to commit, to actually commit your life then to follow Jesus. Okay. That's simple. I like simple. <laughs> Anyone else? Uh, I took a different direction. Cool. Um, talked about the word gospel, which which basically means a good message the good news and um, is mentioned repeatedly in God's word Um, it is the remedy for the bad news Um, the reality that all human beings from Adam forward have failed and continue to fail to live up to their creator's design and standard for their lives the earnings wages for that failure is eternal separation from God forever in a very real place called hell Unless we face the reality that we can never measure up to God's holy standard, we will never come to um, to Him for um, the antidote, the person of Jesus Christ, His only Son, who through His willing suffering and death and resurrection not only paid the price for our foolishness, but He continues once we have put our trust in Him to come before the Father on our behalf. Nothing could be better. He calls us friends. Okay. Anyone else? All right. So here is uh, Mark Dever, the guy from that wrote the Gospel and Personal Evangelism. Here is what he says: The good news is that the one and only God, who is holy, made us in His image to know Him. Can you guys read that? Mm-hmm. Yes. Good. But we sinned and cut ourselves off from him. In his great love, God became a man in Jesus, lived a perfect life, and died on the cross, thus fulfilling the law himself and taking on himself the punishment for the sins of all those who would ever turn and trust in him. He rose again from the dead, showing that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us has been exhausted. He now calls us to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. 
If we, if we repent of our sins and trust in Christ, we are born again into a new life, an eternal life with God. Now, his is not fair because he is... When I timed it, it was like 42 seconds. So I was a little... I felt slighted because I thought, well, who can compete with that? He's Mark Dever. He's got a PhD from who knows where. He's a pastor from decades, and he nailed it in 42 seconds. So I was a little... Mine was 72 seconds, and I was a little disappointed. Anyway, so my question to you, and what I will probably... uh, we probably won't have as much discussion as normal, but I here's my goal: is what is essential. My question for the for this section is what is essential to understand in order to be saved. So if I could take a step back and think of it like Chris did, if you were sharing the gospel with a six year old, my Hadley, if you were to share the gospel to my sweet little girl, what do you think she needs to know in order to be saved? So what I'm I'm going to attempt to do is I'm going to I'm going to share with you my five pronged approach, okay? And so uh, if you had discovery series with me, I I talked about this um, in a section of a lesson, and so I'm going to this is where you have all that room on your paper and you can just write. But here are, uh, here's the first aspect, and so when you guys are reading. I was I was actually counting. So especially when Mrs. McNabb, I was sitting there thinking, okay, she got that, she got that. And and I have five, and five is important because you have five fingers. So literally if you're sitting there thinking like, okay, I'm sharing the gospel, okay. Got that, 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 oh, good, we got it. And that sounds kind of weird, and, and, and most of the time, none of our conversations ever go that smoothly, right? Like none of us ever get the opportunity to be like, okay, so let me start at the beginning. And we're going to go, boom, 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 boom. Oh, we got it. Yay, we're done. Okay, now are you safe? None, that never really happens, right? Most of our conversations are these, like, uh, parachute into, like, the middle, and then there's a problem, and then we're like, right? Like, it never goes perfectly or well. But if you get these five core, what I want to try to give you is, like, five hooks, structural things that you can then, like, hang pieces of information on. I need structure to, like, Buckets of information. So that's what I'm going to attempt to give you is buckets. Here's five buckets. Here's some essential nuggets of information that need to go in those buckets that you need to think through as you communicate the gospel and however way that whole conversation goes. So my first one is God. What do you think we need to know about God? What is the essential thing that when you're communicating the gospel to my Hadley, what do you need to communicate? What does she need to know about God? He's holy and perfect. Okay, he's perfect, right? <laughs> he is sinless. There's not a blemish. There's not a stain. There's no hint of unrighteousness. He is pure. He is sinless. I think assumed in the whole gospel picture and you'll see why I think this later on when I give you my 72 second version of the gospel is that he is creator now it is not essential I don't believe that someone's like yep six days literal creation I mean I I believe that I think it's super duper important but like if I don't think that they have to 
fully understand all the facets of God as creator. But the reason why I think they need to understand God as creator is that they at least have to have some understanding of like, okay, why do I have to obey him? Well, you have to obey him because he's your Lord. He's your king. He's your creator. He made you so he gets to tell you what to do. Like, that's part of the whole deal, right? So I think the idea that God is creator and that he's sinless. So if you want to jot some texts down, uh, we're not just for the sake of time. I'm not going to just, if we spent all the time, I mean, I'm not trying to rip on scripture. Scripture is obviously this where I'm getting everything from, but we don't have time to read through all the text. So I'm trying to just load your lips and give you things to study because we can't accomplish it all here. Acts 17. If you look at Acts 17, Paul in Athens, verses 24 through 31. He starts his gospel presentation and his argumentation in that chapter with creation. God is creator. And I have to turn the air back down. I'm going to die. So God is creator. Acts 17. And he's sinless. Boy, there's a, a number of texts that you could use. Isaiah 6 comes to mind. The vision in the throne room. Holy, 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 and I am a man of unclean lips. And then the coal touches his tongue and he is purified from his sin. Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. Be perfect. Therefore, in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, it's like, I can't be. (laughs) Right? I mean, he just goes through all these lists of, well, you heard it say, that if a man looks at a woman lustful, or if you commit adultery, well, no, but he's saying... If you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. If you get angry at someone, you've murdered. And he goes through this long list and you're like, well, I'm, I'm doomed. And then he gets to the end and he's like, therefore be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Well, what, what are you supposed to do? The only option then at the end of that is like, well, not one, a single one of us can stand. Turn to Jesus. Be perfect. So God is hook number one. He's creator and he is sinless. Number two, man and sin. You could just say man, but man and sin. So I think some of the the core ideas under prong number two, man and sin, are, are these. We are the creation, not the creator. Right? We are created. God is creator, we are the creation. Romans 9, it's talking about God's sovereignty. We'll look at it next week. But Romans 9 talks about the fact, describes God as the potter and we're the clay. So who are we to sit there and say to the potter, I don't like you, I don't like what you've done. No, thank you. Who are we? We're no one. We're the clay, he's the potter. He gets to do with us what he wants to do. So we are creation, not creator. Number two, we're sinful. He is sinless. We are sinful. We are the ones that have rebelled against our Creator. And that sin, as a result, has broken our relationship with God. And we can't do anything about it. So, texts like Romans 3, Ephesians chapter 2. So my, my little Hadley needs to know 
that God is creator and he's sinless and that she's sinful and she doesn't get to call the shots. She has to obey what God says. And she needs to know that she is part of that whole problem. She is one of all his sin. She's done. And I think under that idea of man and sin, there's the aspect of wrath and judgment. Because God is holy, why did why did our relationship between us and God get broken when we sin? Yeah, because God's holy character, His sinless character, cannot tolerate fellowship with sin, right? And so His justified response to our sin is wrath, because we rebelled. And it's only by grace and mercy that we're not vaporized. <laughs> the very, I mean, that we even exist and have taken a breath. Vince, he promised that's what was going to happen. Promised that if we sin. Yes, which is my next point. So, the idea of God will judge our sin because He's sinless, because He cannot tolerate sin, and He's just in that, and that the consequence then, what is the ultimate consequence? It's not just God's wrath, it's God's wrath forever, right? It's eternal separation from God, and we are incurring wrath. So under this category, the second prong of man and sin, we are the creation, we are sinful. God's response to sin is just wrath. And the ultimate consequence of our sin is eternal wrath, eternal separation from God. Romans 6.23 So prong one, God. Prong two, man and sin and Larry. You missed it. I didn't use the word holy. I used the word sinless. I heard it yeah. Larry and I had a lengthy conversation yesterday in the truck about this. So it was good. Actually, for an hour we debated this. It was it was very nerdy. It was very nerdy of us, by the way. So it was good. Prong three. What does a six-year-old need to know about the gospel in order to be saved? Jesus. Okay, so what about Jesus in this picture of the gospel that we're trying to paint? Number one, Jesus is God. Is Hadley going to get that? No. (laughs) Am I going to get that? No. Do you? No. Does one of the smartest people I know, Dr. Snowberger, understand that? No. It's not possible. But it is a fact. Scripture is undeniably clear that Jesus is God. Why is that so important? Have you ever heard of any other religion where the God that we have rebelled against comes to the aid of those who rebelled against him? I can't think of one. How in any other religious construct, how does someone become right with their God? Ultimately, it's through some mechanism of works, of being good enough or doing a certain amount of things. But in this context, in biblical Christianity, this is God condescends to earth 
in the person of Jesus Christ. God comes to us. That's an amazing thought. And I think that that's something that needs to be understood, that this isn't some dude. This isn't someone that is, um, he is like us, but he is also unlike us. He is fully God and fully man. So Jesus is God. Text that you can hang your hat on there is Philippians 2. He humbled himself even to the point of death, the death on the cross. And before that, it talks about um, how he humbled himself by becoming like men. So Jesus is God. I think then the idea of love, God's love, John 3.16, as Chris mentioned, is important. It's in love for us, his sinful creation, that God crucified his son. So Jesus is God. Jesus is God's perfect demonstration of love. Then another idea that you're never going to use this word with a six-year-old, but the idea of substitution or substitute. This is simply the idea that Jesus took our place. So Jesus lived a perfect life. Have we done that? No. Has Maya amazing Hadley done that? As awesome as she is. No. So he lived a perfect life that I haven't lived, that you haven't lived, and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin and Hadley's sin and your sin. He put himself on the cross where we belong. He took the consequence, the wrath of God on his shoulders for us. Is is Hadley going to understand all that? No. But the idea of Jesus taking my place, I think she can get that. And then, resurrection. So not only did he live and die in our place, he rose again three days later. And that shows so much, but some of the core things that the resurrection teaches us is that he conquered sin and death. And we could get we could spend lessons on the resurrection and all of its implications. We're not gonna do that. So God, sinless creator, man, boy, we're screwed up. But man, we're sinful creation. And that sin has cost us dearly. God's just wrath eternally. Jesus is God in human form taking on the sin of the world, taking on our sins so that we can have a right relationship with God. He is putting himself in our shoes, living the perfect life we failed to live, dying the death that we deserve, rising again so that we can have everlasting life with God. Number four, so hand in your pocket, number four, fourth finger, ring finger, or... Point your finger depending on which direction you're going with your hand this way or I can't really do that way from pinky never mind is response what is our response scripture is very clear two words well three words blank and blank repent and believe 
right? It's conversion. It's the two sides of the same coin. Our response is that we must turn from, confess and so acknowledge our sin, turn from it, and trust in this work that Jesus has done on our behalf. Now, I would like to make one uh, important note, and that is 1 Corinthians 15. I'm just going to read this text, two verses, and I want you to key in on uh, something that is repeated. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. What was repeated twice? According to the Scriptures. So this isn't just something that is constructed as made up. This is according to the Scriptures. So... What you repent, you repent of your sins and you trust in what you trust in is what is according to the scriptures. That's important, right? It's what is tethered to God's word, not what is revealed by me. That's why it's so important that we can have this working knowledge of the gospel, have scripture just be able to flow through our veins so when we're communicating we can go boop, boop, boop all the way through. Last is promise. So God, man and sin, Jesus, response and promise. Promise is forgiveness. It's eternal life. So those who repent and believe, God promises forgiveness. He promises reconciliation. A restoration of our relationship that sin is broken. God who is sinless, man who is sinful, how can we be made right again together to have a restored, reconciled relationship? It's only through Jesus' perfection. His death, His forgiveness, so we we have to get up to this level of perfection. And it's only when we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus that we can be there. And that's the promise. So I'm gonna, that's, my, that's my way of thinking. There's many ways to skin this cat. I'm going to give you Pastor Larry's. He's going to probably kill me. But here's Pastor Larry's that we talked about last night. So he, he uses four questions. So who is God? Who am I? What's the problem? And what's the solution? I think that's, is that, is that a fair representation of what you said? And I like that too. But his doesn't have the fifth finger, so therefore I ixnay it. Just kidding. That's I was going to say all the, uh, those, just, those questions remind me then to talk about some of the details that you went over. Yeah. Just the big buckets and then there are other details that you might explain. And then the questions that people have about what you say might be the other So my I, my suspicion is that I have completely overwhelmed you because I have a feeling that you're sitting there thinking like you're telling me that my little six year old kid needs to know all that yeah right there's no, they're never gonna get saved if they have to know all that but I think that if you simplify it down 
there's really not that much hard stuff to get. If you, if you can like take away, because I'm talking, like we're all believers, we're talking within the church. If we take away some of the Christianese words that I'm using, like substitution, and you just simply explain it, like Jesus took your place. Like, that's simple. We can get that. So, this is not my best attempt, but here's my attempt. Well, let me remind you of Mark Dever's attempt. And I want to show you the five prongs. And then I'm going to show you mine. Mine's longer again by too many seconds. But here's what he says again. And, and just, I've highlighted the prongs. Okay? The good news is that the one and only God who is holy made us in his image to know him but we sinned and cut ourselves off from him in his great love God became a man in Jesus lived a perfect life and died on the cross fulfilling the law himself and taking on himself the punishment for the sins of all those who would ever turn and trust in him he rose again that was another component of Jesus from the dead showing that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us has been exhausted He now calls us to response, repent of our sins and to trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. That's part of the last thing, promise. If we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus, we are born again, that's promise, born again into a new life, an eternal life with God. So there's all five components. God, man and sin, Jesus, response, and promise. Here's my attempt takes one and a half slides. The gospel is this. God is our creator and he is sinless. We are his creation and we are sinful. Because we are his creation, we must obey him. But instead of obeying him, we disobeyed him. And our sinful rebellion broke the relationship we were made to enjoy with him. Because sinless God cannot have a relationship with sinful people. God's response to our sin is wrath and it is justified. The ultimate consequence of our rebellion is death, separation from God forever. Yet out of love for us, God himself came to our rescue in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived the perfect life that we failed to live and died the death that we deserved, paying the ultimate penalty for our sins by satisfying God's wrath against us. In other words, he took our place. Three days after his death, he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death. We must repent of our sin and trust in the forgiveness that God promises through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection as revealed by God in his word. For all who repent and believe, God promises a restored relationship with him, both now and forever. I think, I know that covers all five components of me, of my version. And I think that my daughter could get that. Now, it would take some time to read through it a couple times, to sit down and explain and fill in, but the guts of it, I think, are there. So here are the prongs again. God, man and sin, Jesus, response, and promise. Last question. Now you get to participate a little bit. What makes the biblical Christian gospel unique? 
the gospel according to the scripture. What makes it unique? Unlike every other religion, which is works-based, it, they, this, <coughs> the truth of what God did for us exposes us as flawed. No other religion works on, on exposing their flaws. They work, they, they work towards finding a way to earn favor with God rather than saying, this is what we are. This is the mess that we are. And this is how God fixed it. I don't see any other religion that does that. Anyone else? I would just say that um, because our relationship is broken, God restored that. And with other religions, we don't, you know, how do you get forgiveness of sin other than, like, doing all these works? That was, your, that was your hand, right? It was. So, that's what I was going to say. I mean, that the obvious is that it's the only religion or whatever word is gross. If you look at all the other religions except uh, Catholicism, who does believe in Christ's death and all that, they have different ways going about getting right with God. But Buddha didn't do anything. Confucius didn't do anything, Muhammad didn't do anything, but in biblical Christianity, God did all the things that were necessary to bring that relationship that was broken between God and man because of man's sin back in the right relationship. All we have to do is believe. We don't have to do anything else but believe. And in all the other religions, Man has to do all the work. Built in Christianity, it's just like a just Still, think that one of the most amazing things is that our Creator came to us to save us. We don't have to try to climb a ladder to get to him he came down to us to meet us in our sin and to fix the fix our problem I don't see I don't know I don't see any other religion that is like that do you? No, I, I, I think that in a sense we ought to, got to explain that every other religion is, is man's way of making God, and in all actuality, they are hostile. And God is taking a step to have terms of peace, <clears throat> suppress this hostility, and reestablish them into a relationship with God the Father. 
All right. Any other comments? Any other thoughts? Wisdom from the uh, veteran young people. You're not. We're not done quite yet. We're almost done. But I was just gonna say, I feel like really. So does that mean you're you're a young person? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I feel like that we all really have a lot of knowledge, and at least about the gospel, if we've been a Christian for any length of time. But really, the issue is how we're presenting. Like, I don't know. It's, I feel. I, Satan really has a grip on us with that. Whether it's fear, whether it's confusion, whether it's, you know, I don't know. But it, it's something that I constantly need to pray through because I know that I can tell people. I, I know what it is, you know, and I'm not even really scared about if I'm asking you a question I don't know because I feel like I can just say, I'll look that up and get back yeah. to you. But I am nervous about their reactions because I can have bad reactions from friends. And I don't like feeling like offensive, even though it's really not me, it's the truth that's offending them. And it's the way, it's the approach, it's the trying to make it natural. Knowing people, I know people that do it well, and I want to know how to do it. Well. You know, one of the things that one of the things that I have been wrestling with personally is that, as I alluded to two weeks ago, in the season of life that I'm in, I am I am building lots of relationships that work become believers play hockey every week and almost all of them in the the locker room are unbelievers and I'm spending a lot of I'm trying to spend a lot of time with some of those guys those like there's one guy who's become a really close friend of mine I mean we go out on the boat all the time all summer we went out on the boat together and just having that boldness to say, okay, I have a close enough relationship with him or any of these guys that I could just sit there and say, you know what, dude, I love you too much to not, would you permit me to just tell you, like, give me five minutes to tell you what I think will radically change your life. I remember, Marcy, this one time this summer, I was over at my buddy's house, who I play hockey with, and he had had been laid off for a few months. And he, we're sitting on his pool deck, and we were eating hot dogs, and he was talking about how, just complaining about the fact that he hadn't had a job, and he's like, dude, there's just got to be so much more to life than this. And I'm like, you freaking idiot, why don't you just say something, right? And I just like talked it away, I'm like, okay, I'm going to talk to him later about it. I haven't talked to him, and it's been months. That's the kind of thing where like, are you or like come on people like come on Troy just be bold like just just take the step like if we have a relationship right I think that they're going to be willing to hear us 
Especially if we caveat it with, hey, I want to let you know, you might never accept this message, but I'm still going to be your friend. To not look at it as, like, it's a sales pitch. Like, oh, well, you didn't buy that, so, like, we're going on to the next person. Like, well, we dump you, and then we move on to the next person. No, like, it's in the context of our friends that we share this good news. Whether they accept it or reject it, we can't control it, but we have to. I just want to, like, say, you know what? Let me tell you this. And I haven't done it yet. Because I'm a wuss. Well, I think we've just come out of the generation of lifestyle evangelism, which, you know, that's all great and good, but if you don't go to the next step and say what that's about, they don't know, they don't know that you're just a moral person. Yeah. Larry. And, Ron, we were talking about that. Uh, another person was with us when we were talking about that in the truck. And I, I read a quote the other day that said, uh, you might have heard the phrase before, preach the gospel use words of necessary. Yeah. And the person cited mm-hmm. that and said, that's like saying, feed the poor, use food if necessary. <laughs> and so they were kind of slamming the phrase. And it, while I appreciate the sentiment of it, it's, it would be, uh, preach the gospel and make sure you lay a good foundation for it. And Paul talked about that, uh, adoring the gospel. That's what Troy's talking about. Um, yeah, BJ put it a better way than that, though, but it was something like that. Yeah, it's like preach the gospel and live it too, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I was just going to add to what you're saying is that I, I've, I've heard, um, I've had opportunity. I've done street preaching in New York City. I've gone on countless times where you're just out talking to strangers, and I have no problem being bold and telling the gospel. And then you go to talk to your cousin or. Your, your parents, when I, I got saved as a high schooler and trying to share the gospel with my parents, and that feeling of rejection from somebody you love, and the, the sense of feeling it personally, it, the stakes are so much higher when it's somebody you've invested in a relationship right. that we're talking about. And so that's when, you know, I, I can't count how many times I've shared the gospel with a stranger, but then you go to talk to that person you know and care about and your palms get sweaty and your heart starts beating fast and, and it's just because you do care you know more you're invested more in that relationship but that's actually what will likely the Lord will use to cause and listen to what you're saying and then when you talk to what Troy's saying with the, the um, context of this you know if you don't like what I say here that doesn't mean we don't have a relationship I think I think we really need to remember that um, the risk to the person we want to share with, if we don't, is higher than any risk that we're taking. Yeah. Like the 